0: Naming things is very hard, and anybody who's had to do this before can probably tell you that it oftentimes just takes a lot of tries before you find one that you're happy with. And it's it just like, like human names if you're trying to like name a baby. Any name you come up with, no matter how much you like it, everybody else hates it. Yep, no matter what. So you'd be like, this is my baby named Bob, and everyone's like, oh, God! <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 110 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm slowly remembering how to program. You didn't even know how to talk. I'm I can't even Sam talk, and I do spreadsheet things. Sleepy. And tired. today is August 8, 2017. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on the show, we will be swearing a lot. <laughs> so, get your fingers in your ear holes. But it turns out you can hear anyway. Turns out you with can. Your fingers in there. Yeah, it's it's kind of a it's useless weird. exercise. Yeah. But uh, so if you're a child or you know whatever, you know, like you don't like swears and get out of here. But, okay. But it's important to know we don't swear at you. We swear with you. It's yeah, right. It's a jovial profanity sort of mm-hmm. a thing. All right. So we got some news this week, brothers. Mm. You went to Pixel Pop, yeah? Festival. I did not. So talk about it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Seth was up north gallivanting on a lake. So Adam I did. And I, I got sunburned. I'm a redhead now. <laughs> Adam and I is that what I a mean, redhead is? Just well, my sunburned I have a shaved head, and it has become red. So yeah, <laughs> I a, think I'm more of a redhead that's that's than true. a red haired person is. True. Yeah, they're actually just red haired Red haired. Yeah, it's just just red-haired. It. Red-haired. Yeah, that's probably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we Adam and I went and headed up uh, sort of the the pixel pop stuff. And we had the whole rest of the crew joined as well. So um, it was really good, really good. So uh, one of the nice things, things about it is that they changed the venue from previous years. So it was in uh, St. Louis university, which uh, they, they ended up taking over kind of the student center area. So it was basically a long hallway off of which were two or were three different rooms um, there's an expo floor, and then there was the expo stage, and then there was a main stage. So that's that's the extent of sort of the the size of the thing. You get all the ingredients you need. It's just right there for within, a festival. Within like a 50 yard walking distance mm. in a straight line. And then there's a Panera just right just <clears throat> there with all this open space. You mean so, a St. Louis bread Oh, yeah, St. Louis bread Co. Because Panera actually the did OG start Panera. in OG Panera. Uh, yeah, so it was the, the location, I think, honestly, couldn't have been better because. You had food, you had coffee, you had seating, and then you had the talk space. Every, it was very easy to find everything, yeah, and it was the right size of a space for the number of people who were right. there. Um, um, how many people right. would you say? I don't know. Was, I think it's, it's possible to estimate. Yeah, I mean, anywhere from one to thirty-five thousand, probably yes, somewhere yeah. in there. Um, large margin of error on our forecast yeah. there, uh, but hey, it's you know, it's, it's data. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yep. but yeah. But it, so- it, <laughs> it seemed busy though. Which, yes, it which did. is which is. How it's supposed to yeah. feel. So that's the important yeah. part. And I think uh, we yeah, we had a great time and uh, it was really, really well organized. Um, and then the speakers were all sitting to be very good as well. So it's interesting because, you know, we've been to GDC a few times and we've we've talked about how it seems to be like just like throwing darts as to whether or not the talk you go to at GDC, which is the highest level industry conference, very, very prestigious. is going to be any good. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, most of the time, and I will just say this, probably about 30% of the time the talk is bad. Genuinely bad, whether that's presentation or just what they're talking about makes no mm-hmm. sense. I know um, 30% they're like media, okay. forgettably medium, yeah, yeah, but you don't learn anything. And then, forgettably medium might be a good uh, band name, yeah. also. And then the last third is, is like, or probably like 20% is like good, and then like 10% of them are really good. But the problem is, of course, you can only do one at a time, and there's constant, there's like six of them happening simultaneously everywhere. So the chance of you actually Getting a string of good to great talks is very low. Well, plus they have to do it sort of, you know, American Airlines United Airlines style, where they punch they, you as soon as you get in. And well, <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't started that yet. But the part where there's many tiers of of content access, right? right. You know? So if you're like a platinum level GDC goer, right, you can go to everything. You can go to everything the whole week, and that's fine. But if you're on like the, on the bottom of the barrel in the the indie summit. Mm-hmm. Then there's only stuff for you for the first two days, three days. Two yeah. Well, days. there's there's only the indie summit for the first two days, and then there's like the the things that are open to everybody, which is a lot of the advocacy and some of the other more general right and the expo stuff. floor. Right. Yeah. And so, so you basically you get to kind of buy your level of access, you right. know, into the thing. Well, um, except there's they have a problem with the GDC too, because some people only buy the indie summit, which means those are the only things they can go to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas all access people can go anywhere. And so then they have to give priority for the Indie Summit to people yep. with an Indie Summit pass right. or whatever. So the people who paid a lot of money to get the all access pass, they actually have to go to like halfway back down they the line. They have access to everything, but at a lower they have, priority. They have like second tier right. access to everything. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, but That's I a think problem. it was nice at, at Pixelpot because there's there only two tracks of stuff happening at once. Right. Um, all the talks that I went to were good, all the panels that I went to were good. So there didn't seem to be anything where I was like, This is a horrendous use of my forty minutes or or whatever, which has happened at literally every other Although, conference I've been to. So how many of them did you go to though? I think I went to six, six? Oh, That's pretty good actually. So that's a like good it's, sampling. That's a good sample. Um yeah, I didn't go to very many, so I don't I don't I'm not in a place where I can judge. Yeah. I'm judging all the so time. would you say this was a a very well run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, would, that would be worth coming to next year. Yeah, absolutely. It was that. a really successful event. I think on top of that, it was really it was interesting for us because we don't. So you know, we have the podcast, we have our our fans of our games, but we don't actually get to interact with our faces with people hardly ever. Um, and this was one of those rare things where we got to actually meet a bunch of mainly devs, actually, who either listened to the podcast or uh, really wanted to come chat with us about something because they played some more games or whatever. And it was it was really weird and nice to be able to see that the stuff that we're doing is having an impact on people. Um, and Monique said so. Monique came and she was on a panel as well about uh, work life balance and that sort of thing, and she got to talk to a few people afterwards. And we had one guy, uh, Alexander, who drove from connecticut to come to this thing mm-hmm. so that he could hang out with us on saturday um and i think for her in particular she's never had fans before it's a humbling experience It's very humbling and very great and so uh there's there a couple of those moments strung throughout whether it was devs or or fans or whatever else who would tell us about stuff they heard in the podcast or just say something about how the things that we're putting out there which we again we tend not to know if they matter which is important note because we are literally <laughs> right now broadcast. Yeah, well, what we, we get are it, in a basement right yeah. now. What we get is a view counter, right? Yeah. We're just like, oh, this many listens, and then yeah, there's what, no, is, what is that? I don't no know what that means. metric, right? <laughs> so uh, it was it was really nice, I think, for that for that reason. And yeah. the, the event was well run, and it was just good. So I'd say, um, and I think they're doing it again next year. So if you're if you're wondering what to do around this time next year, definitely get it get it penciled into your calendars mm-hmm. so you can come see it. Good no, pin it into your calendar. Well, pin it, yeah, because we don't even know what the dates are. Just block out the month. Yep. Or actually, I guess last year it was in a different month, so block out two months, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Gotta be yeah. So I'm, I was kind of bummed. This was like, this is my one definite weekend every year that I'm gone, and it just so happened that Pixel Pop got moved this year to be on the same mm-hmm. weekend. So sadly, I could not be there, but next year, mm-hmm. I hope. We'll see. Uh, all right. So we've also been working on game names. Oh God! So this is something. This is something that we didn't have to think about as much in the past because we were a nobody. Well, I'd say we well, probably it, should have. Yeah, we yeah. Sh- no, we should have. Yeah. But we we had the luxury of having so many other pressing things that we just said fuck it and just did stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, without, but I wouldn't even say it was that. It was. It was just literally. We didn't know. It was just literally ignorance. Right. right. Yes. It was just like. We didn't have time to not be ignorant. And so we got to blissfully choose a name, choose so, a name. Well, And so I think, that. I think we got lucky enough with, so for example, tell fight to the monocle of destiny, not going to run into very yeah, many trademark fine. problems. Yep. Quadrupus rampage completely made up. Yep. Not really going to run into issues right. there. Um, crash We definitely could have run into some yes. snags. So the, the basic problem is this, is that when you're, when you're coming up to a point where you actually want to start talking about your game, which is where we're at, um, You need to have a name for it, right? To be able to have people be able to talk about it. You can't talk about it otherwise. (laughs) So the problem is that uh, I think Steam just released their numbers for how many games are coming out now a week, which is like 200 something on Steam. Um, There's, you know, 700 a day on mobile. So in other words, there's like there's around what, 5,500, 6,000 names being used every week. Mm hmm. And that, fortunately, most of them are just some combination of candy and a saga or that's something true. So, that's or true. Uh, or call of ops, black mm-hmm. right? edition, duty yep. Yep. or assassins or something, <laughs> something else. Right. Yeah. So a lot of them are you just remixes, just stuff, anagrams yeah. of other. But uh, <laughs> but the problem we've been running into is that, well, you know, we'll take we'll take some time and naming things is very hard. And anybody who's had to do this before can probably tell you that it oftentimes just takes a lot of tries before you find one that you're happy with. And, and it's just like, like human names, if you're trying to like name a baby, any name you come up with, no matter how much you like it, everybody else hates it. Yep, no matter what. So you'd be like, "This is my baby named Bob," and everyone's like, "Ah, oh, I watched. Be like, I watched <laughs> oh. Bob's Burgers once, and I, I hated it." Yep, I have an opinion about that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, "I'm starting to not care because Bob is his own person." You know, Bob he's he's his, little. Person. Bob is going to define himself. That's right. So, right now he's just shitting his pants. But so later we've talked about this, uh, <laughs> this in, in, what's called an early stopping problem. In uh, both decision making and computer science, and this is actually what Adam's talk was about at Pixel Pop. Mm-hmm. So, just to really quickly paraphrase it, early stopping is equivalent to essentially the good enough principle. So, early stopping is deciding at which point you will stop trying to do a thing. Like, say for example, generate more names when it comes to uh, naming a game. And the reason you want to set one of these things is that you can you can spin your reels on this forever. And in fact, we have. So, with this game in particular, we've named it now I think twice. Mm-hmm. And then after those naming sessions. Had like gone to you know ask a lawyer like hey can you go look at trademarks for this and see if we're good and the first one was just no good because of trademark problems the second one didn't have a trademark but there's a band with the exact same name that is still active mm-hmm. nothing else has the name nothing just else has, has the name. one band and we know like they're not they're not that successful by any stretch well they're they're like a, a local perform like they, right. they don't go like tour nationally or anything like that right. so their their reach is pretty limited so we know that because of what's going to happen if we start promoting that name with our game that we will just bury them in the search results mm-hmm. I and mean, when you get like six articles deep plus you know a reference on our website and then the actual website for the game and they're already at the bottom of the page right. if not further and that'll only and of course increase- yeah as we promote the game over a year or whatever right. it's going to be they're going to be on like page 80 right so, that so we're is like bad. That, yeah, that's bad. We don't not, want to crush some random band right. so that's on Google. <laughs> that's no good. So, went back to the drawing board again yesterday and came up with another list of things. But it's the same thing where. Oh, and we've been kind of trying to avoid having to just make up words. a word entirely. But, uh, and, and our lawyers told us too, they were just like, just the only way, the, the only way that you can get Completely through this without crushing this. some other business on accident or without making yourself a lawsuit target or more likely both mm-hmm. or being crushed by some other or business. being crushed by some of their business via lawsuits what about yeah. the name it's overwatch like name. Mm, i but like it good yeah right yeah i mean I think, i've never heard of anything like, there's this tiny company blizzard that's using it i think but yeah blizzard. we'll just we'll just crush yeah. them it's fine yeah it'll be <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so uh so we've been running this problem and so it's been it's been an interesting uh, i don't know couple weeks because it's sort of like you do you do a bunch of work, you get very excited about the name, and then we use it internally for a bit while we're waiting for the the response from the lawyers to come back. And then inevitably it's been like, oh yeah, probably no go. And we have mm-hmm. to get a cleanse your palate. Because the thing is also names like Seth was talking about earlier, you know, if you name a baby Bob, at, at the moment of that baby being named, Bob means nothing to everybody else. Bob means only what the other Bobs are that they've known in their life, right? But it's up to baby Bob to exactly. come in. And, and define it, define, define, define what it means to be a Bob. Right. And so actually the truth is that a lot of the power of a name comes from the marketing after the fact, which means that to a degree with this early stopping idea. So what we're sort of aiming just for has now sound good enough, sound good enough and not have any like crushing of other companies, us being crushed or trademark problems. Yeah. Um, which turns out to be hard to do. So, yeah, well, but, but especially because there, there's a lot of things we have to consider when when you're naming a kid, like you just want something that sounds awesome, right? No one's going to sue your child for having the same and, name as their child. Well, I mean, who knows? You like Cornelios, right? But but Night when you're naming <laughs> when you're naming a product, though, it has to be something that people can, when they hear it, they can parse it out and like have a guess of how to spell it. And similarly, when they're thinking about it, have a guess of like how to find it. Right. it. So, for example, puns bad. Idea for a game name yeah. because when you say the name of the game, you then have to tell the person which version of the word that you're using, yep. right? So yep. we talked or about like hum- example, homophones. Yes, yeah, so we talked bad. about like bite buddies. Mm-hmm. Yep, but B Y T E. Yep. But then we would have to say that every yep. time we yep. told people about yeah. it. If you have to spell it out for somebody to be able to find it, then it's, and also, but even just stuff that's kind of, that doesn't flow really well off of anybody's tongue because of all the language differences and, and, uh, and not even just language differences, but just regional dialect differences, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, so things have to somehow flow really well right. kind of in a cross dialect way and be spellable, right? Well, and there's you, other, you, do, well, you don't want, you don't want consonants that aren't often paired. Together, right, right. Well, There's up. this idea of a, a there's a phoneme called a glottal stop. Yeah, which is when you when you got to like you throw your tongue back and like stop it and and you from slap happening. Slap yourself in the u. And you can't if you, you put two of those us. sort of back to back inside of one word, then it gets there's like a lot of sort of start and stopping stuff happening. So hard the whole say. idea is that you got to like it should feel good, it should look mm-hmm. good, it should sound good, and then uh, on top of that be like at least at least, least pretty spellable. and fairly spellable. Right, as long as it's right. very memorable, then like some of the times you can get away with some of the spelling stuff as a lot of companies. Or have done. or if the the thing is weird enough that we can buy the domains for all the alternate spellings right. as well and not have that be a hundred thousand different exactly. options. So yeah, it's, been, it's yeah stuff like T's and D's sound the same when you say them, you know? So there's all this stuff that it just becomes really hard to come up with a really good Yeah. It's a pain. pain. It is. Because it can't just sound good. It's gotta, gotta be good SEO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about Overwatch as a, as a name. It does flow very well. And it's actually complete nonsense in, in the scope of the game. Because in mm-hmm. the game, they're like, look at all these heroes. Like, they're here to protect the Earth. Why are they killing each other? I still haven't. Why are they playing Capsulean? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> are they just practicing? I think they're this? just practicing. They're just practicing. Yeah. yeah. But, like, practice watch didn't go. Yeah. Right. right, yeah, right. But, but you can see, like, Overwatch is, you, you can say it, it's unambiguously spelled. You know, right. it's, yep. it's perfect. It's two words that, you know. Right. Yep. So the thing to me is like great. that name by itself doesn't even sound particularly, at least to me, it doesn't sound particularly epic in nature. No. Yeah. It's nope. the marketing that they've exactly. done now that has sort of bound that in. Right. Yeah. And so, that's the key is that trying to find like just a name in sort of in isolation, which is a lot of what we're, what we're doing. We're trying to come up with a name. You're just like listing all these ideas and putting words out. Uh, it makes it you feel like the name has to be really epic, but having a really epic name almost guarantees you're going to fall into this trap of it being not spellable. Okay, so, so this is it. this is really interesting because this is something I was I was actually talking to Shuri yesterday because so we're we're in the process of, of doing a big content push in our current game, and uh, content push means like let's say let's say you're one of the developers of like early WoW, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, we need swords, we need swords in right, this game, right. right? We got the systems done, we're we ready got just- we got the ability for characters to hold swords, we need some swords. So your art team is going to crank out like 30 swords. They're all going to look very different. And when you first put them in the game, they're just going to have some stats. Like this sword has like 10 stamina. This sword has 11 stamina, right? And if you look at it sword by sword by sword, you're going to be like, who's going to give a shit? Mm -hmm. Like, why should people care about all these swords? Like, this is why I can't play Diablo. Right. Except what, then what happens is then you go, well, this sword here this sword you have to go through a 14 quest long chain to get you have to learn this story of this ancient prince then you got to summon a wind lord in a forty man raid mm. and spend weeks mastering it, and then you kill it, and then you get Thunder Fury, blessed yeah. blade of the windseeker, right? And then it's like, oh, that's a really badass sword, right? But really it's just like it's slightly better than other swords, right. right? But it tells a story now. It has a story now. So you you've taken this thing, it's like it's just a generic It's thing. like King Arthur's sword, you know? It's like it's in a fucking rock. It's just a sword you though. Yeah, but, but it's just his sword. Well, yeah. Yeah. We've talked Excalibur about this. does nothing interesting in the whole story of yeah. Right. I mean, how sword? could it? It's just a sword. Right. You know? But we talked about this using, uh, with the development of Crashlands too, because until we put the story in, that was the situation where um, you know you you're just you're essentially just crafting the whole. T- if there's no story, you're just crafting, and everything is kind of the same. But as soon as you wrap it up, and you're like, oh, I had to go do this thing for Gabby in the in Barnapole to take care of this thing, I got a weeble wobble of Hugo out of it, mm-hmm. um, and it was this like little goofy spying quest. You again, you have a story wrapped up in that, so that item has differentiated and more valued than Terraria pulls us off. Not, not really extensively, but just enough by having NPCs that unlock, you know, new parts of the content that you have to then go discover in the caverns. And, you Mm -hmm. know, and yeah. Yeah. So it's really easy in dev, like when we're coming up with names or coming up with like new creatures to put in the game or new items or spells or whatever to think about those things in isolation and just be like, ah, these aren't that interesting. Right. But it's actually our responsibility as developers to just imbue things with meaning. It's kind of like um, the naming thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same problem. So mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty cool parallel, I think. Um, so we'll, we'll be seeing how this new name comes <laughs> into fruition and whether we yeah, can actually I mean, start using it. Yeah, the goal is to get it as soon as possible so that we can... I want to be able to talk about, about this Well, this <laughs> this is for the game that was formerly Snuppies. Correct. Which now we're actually on version 40. It has differentiated so quite is, far from the original. It is... Uh, it has evolved, mm-hmm. we'll say. Yeah, yeah, it's looking really good. We want to start like showing it yeah. to people, but right. we can't. Yeah. Um. So That's also fine. we have, so this this past week, we wrapped up Spearmint Summer, which mm-hmm. was a four week experimental phase where we said we're going to do a four day work week. Uh, so eight to four, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Thursday, which is we used to do sporadically this 12 mm-hmm. hour workday thing, which we would call a jam day. Where basically people would find like big problems that they wanted to tackle and and do those on a jam day. So now we just said every Thursday is a jam day. Mm-hmm. And then it's three day weekends. So that has shifted our work week from 40 hours to 36. That's so sort of like in office time, right? Granted, we all tend to do a lot of other stuff on Fridays and weekends. Um so how has that been? What do we think? Yeah. Where what's our where's what what, <laughs> what do? Well, I think so. This is an interesting thing because people don't oftentimes consider the the actual sort of structure, the meta-level structure of their work hours to be an important component of how they get work done or whether they're getting work done. And of course, you can, a lot of people can, you can see this when it comes to people who say like, oh yeah, my morning hours are more valuable, right? People sort of picked up on that oftentimes over time, or they'll say, you know, after 2 p.m., I just do a variety of things that are like wrap up things because I know my brain's like off because I ate a bunch of carbs for lunch or whatever. So people, I think they have a sense of it, but they tend not to, in a, in a larger either studio context or a business context, ask that question about, is the structure of the time that we're using for our people and for our company, is that doing what we want it to do? Or is there a different structure that might actually help us in some ways? Yeah. Well, because it, for example, I, th- I think the best way to think about it is like every hour is not the same. Correct. And if you say we're, we work 40 hours a week. No, you don't. Right. Maybe like 10 of those hours you're getting a lot of work done. 10 of them, people are kind of scrambling, you know, whatever. Cause you could also say we work 40 hours a week. We work every other hour for three days. Like, yeah, technically that's 40 hours. Nobody's getting shit done, right? right? They're all sleep deprived. They're starting work, stopping work, right? <laughs> right. Like that's useless time. Right. So, uh, so 40 hours means, it doesn't very, mean It means very right. little. So I think the the interesting thing about it is that our goal with the switch was, was twofold. So one is that, you know, every morning when people come in, there's ramp up time every single morning where you're kind of you're getting situated, maybe checking your emails, uh, making your plan for the day, that sort of thing. So the question was, if we just don't do that one day, right, and take four hours and slap it on to the end of that day. So in the case of Thursdays, um, will that do something like give us a little bit of a productivity boost? Because, of course, you're reducing the amount of essentially daily administrative burden that's happening because there's one less day. So so that was one of the questions. And then the other one was, uh, will the three day weekends allow people to just take care of their lives such that they're more focused and just more in the office. So there's less like, Oh, I need to go like take care of this bank thing because banks are dumb and aren't open after work. Um, or before work or before work or, or during lunch. Yeah, <laughs> Whenever you get there, they're closed. So the question was, will it sort of reduce chaos and, and increase the amount of time that everyone's in the office at the same time? Uh, and then, then we had a bunch of concerns with it, which is largely had to do with the fact that with a three day weekend, that's a big chunk of time. And with something like programming Um, there's, there's a lot of mental work that goes into sort of building the mental scaffolding for a big problem that you're working on. And so the question was, might it be the case that after a three day weekend, if you totally disengage that when you come back on Monday, you're going to have essentially more severe ramp up time because you've been gone. Will all be kind of slowed down on Mondays? Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there was just a general question of, you know, uh, people kind of getting what they want out of, out of their existence, which is the ability to do things. Easier, kind of is. A- yeah. So if you're like, I want to develop a hobby, I want to pick up woodworking, right? If you're working Monday through Friday and then you end up with like an hour or two Monday through Fridays and then that leaves Saturday, Sunday to try to run errands and take care of other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have the time to learn new things and develop other skills as well? Become a more Because, again, having one hour Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is not the same as having a four hour block on Friday to just dive into something. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So the conclusion of this is we talked to everybody last week, which was the the end of the, uh, the end of the experiment. And just sort of got the pulse. And we've been doing it every single Friday or every single Thursday after jam days, sort of figuring out how people's work weeks was and that sort of thing. And we noticed a few interesting things just as both as studio heads and also as people who are working in this particular environment. Um, the one really interesting one was that, that that guess as far as people sort of actually having a little bit of disengagement over the weekend was backward. Because what we found this is a good interesting note was that when we, when we created a structure that allowed people to actually take essentially more than enough time off over the weekends, then because the people who we have brought on actually like working at the studio and like their work and are interested in it, then invariably actually people started leaning back into the work a little bit over the weekend. So uh, in Tifa's case, like she came back one Monday and had sketched all of the Tundra creatures for some of our new merch coming up, which had not happened before, like on a Saturday, Sunday, of course, because everything's on fire. Time is too compressed. Yeah. 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 Um, I think Andy like read a JavaScript book or something and came in with some notes and so and people are working on their, uh, their, per, their professional improvement projects that they were doing for experiment. Well, summers, yeah. Right? And it's, it's even stuff like people will be like, we, we all like just like bouncing ideas off each other. And you know, when we're gone for three days and you kind of miss that. And so people, right. people will just like think of something interesting or read an interesting book and then hop onto their shenanigans feed mm-hmm. and make a, make a post about it and try to like teach everybody about the thing that they learned. Right. Um, Yes. But I think also, you know, one of the things that we told everybody that we expected of them when they joined the studio is that if there was some piece of, you know, some domain of knowledge that they didn't yet have, or if the, if the job here that they were doing um, was something that they were missing knowledge about that they really needed to do it better, you know, really effectively and better than they were doing, that our expectation was that outside of work, they would figure that out. Like that mm-hmm. was just, that's because that's, that's on them, right? for not, Right. To, to actually you gotta get yourself up to speed. You got to get yourself up to speed. Um, but when you don't have time to do that, because you're basically either at work or putting out fires at home and then you're right back to work again, uh, then it, cause we, we noticed that people really weren't doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they needed to be, and even though that was clearly an expectation, uh, and, and then as soon as we actually provided time, it starts happening. <laughs> it starts to happen. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it, is, it starts to make, um, turns out people it's can't just, sense. can't just summon time from the ether. Right. To do things. It is one thing to say, you know, we expect our people to be, uh, you know, to be smart about how they handle their time for sure. But the reality is of course, and everyone knows is like most weeks, something either goes wrong or happens. And the result is that if you're working a normal, you know, nine to five, five days a week situation then that little bit of extra slack, there's probably like three or four hours of like slack time, frankly, like on the weekends that would be that you could use to do something with that usually gets eaten up by whatever that emergent. Yeah. It may even be just somebody being like, Hey, you want to grab a coffee? Right. And you're like, shit. I mean, yes, but shit. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the things to do. Right. So, uh, so it was actually the, the concerns we had ended up being not just, not in, not just, uh, you know, unvalidated, but actually sort of the, the, positive side of that coin was what showed up in most yeah. of these cases. Um, people seem like they've been, everyone's been zoned in like crazy. We had a, a Sam Palavon who who is from Taco Illuminati was here yesterday. He's a fellow developer. Yeah. yeah he was, was here for Pixel Pop. Yeah. So he just came to the office to uh, work yesterday. And at the end of the day, he just said, man, these, these butterscotch people really put in the work because it was just silent for like most of the day. All you just hear is the the rumbling of keyboard keys. (laughs) And then there'd be these breakouts, you know, people just like grab another person and walk somewhere and chat really intensely about a thing and they go back in. Um, And he's like, what do you, you know, what do you guys do for lunch? I was like, you just eat whenever you want. I I don't know what that means. (laughs) What do you mean what I do for lunch? Um, Put food in your mouth. Yeah. So (laughs) it's not, well, you gotta be weird about it. Right. So, (laughs) so it's been really interesting to see, uh, to see what the effect has been. I think it has been overall actually an extremely positive change for everybody's personal health and life. Um, and that has definitely reflected then into the care for the studio that they've been bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. So really interesting thing. And, and I, I like think. the, I like the, the fury that comes into a jam day. Yeah. We're like, everybody comes in with this determination of like some crazy thing. Like they'll set some goal for themselves. Like I'm going to make 15 of these. Mm-hmm. Or like I'm going to learn this new thing and try to get it done and deployed by the end of the day. Right. Um, which, you know, we always overshoot Oh, yeah. But I mean that's oh, kind yeah. of We're the point. point. <laughs> but well, I think that's, that is one of the interesting things, though, is that the week does feel compressed. Though, the, yes. the work week, right? And there's an interesting consequence of that, which means that you like the pressure to to do stuff and to feel like you've accomplished things uh, feels a little bit higher. It's just like being in a little pressure cooker, you know, um, but not in a, not in a bad way. It just feels like it just feels like you got kind of got to race a little faster yeah. to get done what you wanted to get done. Um, and as a consequence, actually just everything is more, just more alive. And yeah, you know, and, and like and it you forces you to think. Of, so for example, like yesterday, uh, we're, we're in a content push. And so I had like 10 things to implement. They're all, they're 10 of the same type of thing into the game. And so I was like, I'm going to time each phase of each of these, um, and then try to figure, and then look at how much total time it took and then try to figure out where there are holes in my process. Right. And so for example, I learned that there's like a three minute downtime switching from one thing to the next. So if each thing takes me five minutes, really it's eight minutes. Right. Right. It Um, doubles the amount of time it takes because of prep. Right. Right. And so now there's, now there's questions like, okay, so today I'm going to try to figure out how do I batch my prep work, Mm -hmm. do that stuff in advance. Then I can just bounce from thing to thing to thing. Right. Um, and so, that's the kind of thing that I didn't feel the need to do before. Yeah, reducing uh, all those switching costs. But this is actually better now because also as a side effect, now I have a much better sense of how long things take. So when it comes to predicting our project timelines, right. we actually have that. a frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, and I think that, that whole, when you, ha- when you have a longer sort of stretch of time to distribute your stuff over, it does feel less important to do things like minimize switching costs. It's like yep. being immortal. Yeah, because right, right, once yeah. you're immortal, nothing yeah, matters. Matter. And there's no yeah. urgency. Yeah, so it actually kind of everything just has to kind of get reshuffled and just made more more efficient, um, so that everybody gets to feel really good. So it's kind of like we all know that we're all going to die by the end of the week, <laughs> and so we all have to rush to get <laughs> everything gotta get it done. done. Gotta get we done. <laughs> gotta get <laughs> done. But, yeah, but that that lunch thing is interesting. So so my wife is now uh, on on a new career path that she's defining um, while she's uh, she so she's at home every day now working from home. You know. Just tackling projects and doing stuff, and uh, and so yesterday I got home and she was like, "I'm really hungry," and then she like sat there for a second, and was like, oh, "I don't think I ate lunch," and then like, mm. and, and this is a thing that hasn't happened to her before. She but used to get on your case about but yeah, but forgetting she's seen it happened to us all the time, right? <laughs> and, uh, and you were so, like, "Yes, yeah," <laughs> and, but then she said, and then I thought it was really interesting." Then she followed up and saying, "Oh, I should probably maybe tomorrow I should set a timer for myself, like a reminder to like to eat lunch." And I was like, "Why? That's just going to interrupt you." When you're right. in the middle of doing something obviously more important than eating, otherwise your body would tell you, hey, you should eat right now. Right. right? Yep. And this is really so with with the, the question of like when do you eat lunch? For for us, like for me, the answer is when whenever you're hungry. I'm hungry enough that it <laughs> distracts me from my work. Right. Right. And and the idea that for some reason, like that lunch is this thing. This, this like entity that is sacred and that you must somehow. Lunch doesn't tell me what to do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, I got shit. You're locked do, in you know? here with me. <laughs> but, that, but, that, but that comes back to that idea of the value of, of an hour, the value of a block right. of time. And, and where we've tried to structure everything so that we get the blocks are as long as they can be, which is why we shove all the stuff that isn't part of that into the morning so that you do that first and then, you know, kick off your work day. Uh, but you should just be able you should, you should have full control over when you get distracted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some days yeah. I eat lunch at ten. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, if I'm like, like, i I need if to get, get out of the way. Exactly. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I'm, I know I'm gonna be hungry pretty soon. Yeah, if I'm at a good stop, if I'm at a good stopping point between two things, and it's anywhere between like ten and noon, then I'll just go eat first, and then go jump into the rest. Of stuff. Yeah, there are there are days where it gets around three o'clock, and I'm like, oh shit, I forgot forgot yeah. to get a sandwich. I ate lunch at four p.m. yesterday. Nice, because I forgot. I did it at ten a.m. Nice. Lunch <laughs> is in the eye of the beholder. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. It Lunch is when control. you say it is. Uh also we have so we have a, a, we have two more. We're we're a little news heavy this week, mm-hmm. but it's good. Uh, so we have two more things. One is our uh merch has arrived. Ooh, oh so. yeah, first round of merch is something we've just kind of like dropped hints about. Uh, but we are we're opening up a merch shop for Reelsies. Uh, this is, so we, we tried to do this last year, but we made the mistake. So, you know, I think it was last week we were talking about how you can't perfectly solve a problem the first time, mm-hmm. right? You you can't know all the variables, you can't know everything. And so you have to just do some kind of a thing that is good enough for now. Do a drift. Yeah. So last year we started going through the merch stuff and we got buried in problems because we were like, we need, we need a third party to handle our distribution. Right. We need to solve that problem now and forever. We need a payment processing that we can handle payments from any country in any currency. We tried to make it too good too soon. We tried to, yeah, we tried to go all out on it. And as a result, we burned out of it and then got busy with a bunch of other stuff and then never looked back. Mm -hmm. Right. So, uh, so this time around uh, as Monique came into the office Mm -hmm. um, and we were like, we need somebody to take on this merge project, but we need to do it sensibly. We need to do it (laughs) simpler. And so this time around, so we, we, so Monique took the helm on this thing and we're just like, we're going to do it U S only for now, continental U S even mm-hmm. like, cause mm-hmm. we don't even know how do you get a box to Alaska? We don't know that. Not a problem we will not solve right now. Yeah. We'll solve that problem after Later. we figure out how to get boxes to just someone just like <laughs> a <laughs> person. Right. Um, and so, and then we're, so we're handling everything in house so that we can learn about the packaging and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And so we can have control over the quality of the products so and make sure we screen everything. Which turned out to be important. Yes. We ordered uh, our first round of merch and a a lot of it came damaged. So we had to, you know, Mm -hmm. fix that stuff. Uh, But yeah, so we got stuff like we got a couple of mugs that have Mm -hmm. some phrases from the podcast and some like mantras of our studio. There's the can we not mug. Yep. Which says it on both sides. So whether right or left handed during a meeting you can hold it yeah, and just, this is, just point it at people. It's a really good for business book. It's a good business. And then bug. the other one is uh <laughs> the I Like My Coffee with Butterscotch mug. Mm-hmm. Just wrapped around the whole thing. Um, we got a few different t shirts which no one's actually seen. Most of these designs. Two of the designs. We got sir? we got four shirts. So one is one is the classic butterscotch shenanigans mm-hmm. yep. shirt, which is the one that we wear everywhere. So um, this may get confusing if we go to conventions and now yep. we have that shirt. So we may need a new like studio level <laughs> need, shirt. Yeah, we need a studio shirt. So uh, but it's just like the black shirt with the bold you know pink and or fuchsia and yellow yep. logo on the front. Um, we've got a design by Eric Hibler. Mm-hmm which is a uh, studio logo and then sort of a, like a montage, like collage thing yeah. of all of our games and all the characters. Um, and it's actually, cause it goes from like bottom to top. It goes like ocean down at the bottom with quadruple rampage. Yeah. The mid level is flux juice box, uh, Hardik mm-hmm. and Bella from Talfight fight 2. And They're like fighting creatures and stuff. Studio logo, and then at the top is the space games. Right. So we have Flop Rocket and Roy Rage at the top, right? So it kind of goes from like Pretty sea good. land, sea land mm-hmm. air kind of a thing. Um, we got a shirt that's called Cute Lands, mm-hmm. where we found an artist, uh, who is makes this adorable yeah, art. Nina Matsumoto, yep, right, yep. Yeah. And uh, so we were just like, yeah, just make a like a cute Crashlands thing. So she made this like flux and juice box, like yeah. gallivanting through a meadow thing. It's adorable. <laughs> and then we have the sort of like grungy metal crashlands yeah, shirt that we, we have seen around. We have it's sold, in, we have sold in the past. It's yeah, like a run one run. So we got all that. And then Tifa made these sticker packs that are They're really good. She, she has a knack for like just taking something and just putting this like really goofy yet kind of cute spin mm-hmm. on it. So she made these a sticker pack for each of the biomes in Crashlands. So you have like a pack that's like the bosses and the creatures and the resources of the Savannah, of the bog, of the tundra. Um and then there's a, a space pack, which has so flux, heroes, yeah. juice box, Hugo, and all this stuff, grubby. And Tack. tack. And they're they're really nice stickers they're like they're vinyl they're they s- hardcore vinyl they thing. stick on anything we also and like you can we also have a couple like a, just like a big crashlands logo um, and mm-hmm. a butterscotch nangis logo that are like they're big enough and high quality enough that you can just use them as bumper stickers if mm-hmm. you want to which we have done in the past and it, they they hold they up hold like up. so we wanted to make sure that we do like real high quality stuff um so we've searched far and wide to find good distributors and good producers and stuff yeah. and raymond will so, launch this thing i think sometime in the next month or two, I think it's roughly the timeline. Uh, it's basically as soon as, as soon as we can. So yeah. Monique's just on it. Yep. So we're, we're wrapping up the, the details. So yeah, so our, our first phase continental U S figure out how the hell that works. Mm-hmm. And then we'll start adding stuff over time instead of what we tried to do before, which was do Everybody everything at once, once and then mm-hmm. ruin everything. So, uh, so yeah, that's all, that's all just like sitting in a pile behind us, mm-hmm. which is, it's going to be cool. It's going to be cool to get that into people's hands. I guess we, we may or may not send out some early pictures just so you know what we're talking about. I don't yeah. know if we're going to do it or not, but we may yeah, or may not. We may or may, may, may not. Or may not. Um, all right. So the final thing we want to talk about is the hazards of social proof. Whoa. Let's, I don't know what. Okay. I just want to share a story. What? So the Dukes of hazards of social so proof. There's a yeah. book called uh, contagious, which I just finished. And if you're doing anything about marketing a game, which if you're developing a game, you should be doing, Yeah. Uh, I would recommend reading it. And one of the, one of the, the chapters in it talks about this, the concept of social proof, which is essentially saying, the more you see other people doing things, and the more visible those things are, the more likely it is, whether you like it or not, that you will do those things also. And this comes into two different really interesting forms, and part of the sort of informs why it is that now we have a sort of a renewed focus on something like the merch. Because the reality is uh, in games on mobile, you cannot tell, like if you' saw someone with a game boy, you know if they're playing video games on that game boy. that's what it's designed for. You can oftentimes even see the cartridge in the back. you kind of know what game they're playing. In the case of, uh, of mobile games, say you walk into an airport and there's like 700 people on their phones. Which is all of them. Which is all. Everybody's them. on their phone. Yep. You don't know. You don't know what they're doing. Yeah. You don't know if, like, maybe some of those people have played Crashlands before. Yep. but And you could go have, like, a fun chat with Most them. Most of them are probably on Facebook right now. Just, Correct. Just live discussing everything that they're seeing and doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is what people do, weirdly. So... Um, <laughs> The problem is that games essentially become, mobile games in particular, are weirdly uh, an invisible activity, right? It's a, it's a private activity. because you know, is somebody checking their email? Are they on Facebook? Yeah, you are really they playing tell. a game? You can't tell. And if so, so are they playing your game? your game? And if they're not playing a game now, do they have your game on their phone? have they mm-hmm. played it before. Right. So... Part of the idea with the merch was to take this thing that's, that is private and actually try to make it public if you choose to do so. So whether that's, so I have a sticker of flux on my phone, for example. So if someone sees me holding this thing, hopefully they'll be able to be like, Oh, you got flux on your phone, you know, and then we could chat about it. Um, But anything, things like that, we're even wearing the t-shirts that sort of raises the level of awareness that other people are doing this thing. And a really good uh, case in point for this is that at the sort of t- at the, the far end of the spectrum of popularity of social proof is where something becomes the, the very popularity of a thing becomes the reason why people participate. So, two good examples of this a recent one is Game of Thrones, which again, if you're not watching it, like nearly everybody is at this point. You're not watching it, you're just not part of the exactly. culture. Anymore. And so, at some point, you're just like, I, This happened to me last year when I was like, fine. And then I yeah, watched it. Me too. And I was like, great, this is fantastic. Um, and I, everyone's sort of in on it. In other words, it hit some sort of tipping point where the popularity of the product became the product itself. Which happened also with Pokemon Go. Helped with Pokemon Go mm-hmm. immediately almost. It's yeah. happening with Player yeah. Unknowns Battlegrounds. Yep. So this is one G. I've been ignoring that one for a while. And then now I saw that it's it's the right behind Dota on Steam in terms of concurrent players. And now I'm like, well, I guess I kind of want to I guess I kind of should get in on that. Yeah, brother. Yeah, nothing about the game itself has like made me interested in it. Exactly. You're not buying the the fact that everybody (laughs) in the universe is playing it is very intriguing, right? And that you're now an outsider. You're sitting there and you're just like, I can't. I mean, this was actually like in my vacation this past weekend. Everybody, everybody there had been playing uh, player on battlegrounds. Mm -hmm. I was, I was the person who hadn't, the one, and they were telling all these stories and talking about all these things, and now I can't participate. Right, right. So just like how. In previous years, everybody had been talking about Game of Thrones. And I'm like, yes, I caught up. I watched Game of right. Thrones. Now it's, now now it's this. Now I'm behind on something else. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually what I would be buying if I bought that game would be not the game. It's just a game. But it would be the ability to participate in society again. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yep. So so there, that's an interesting thing there. And I think the, so the the second piece of this, which is the sort of weird dark part, uh, is a study that the, the professor of that book did at his school. He, teach, he teaches at a business school. And he asked people who were coming in as MBAs what it was that they wanted to do once they graduated and they had their MBA. And when people were coming in, had this huge diversity of things they wanted to go do. Some people were like, oh, I want to go start a social entrepreneurship program. Some people wanted to go you know, just like be a head of Exxon or something. Some people wanted to lead various civil activities and that sort of thing, or do any sort of just a huge broad range of stuff. And then he asked people who were on their way out so like second or third year MBA students, you know, what is it you plan on doing once you leave? And like 70% of them say consulting. And he says, basically what happens is that while only a small, like marginal group of people at the beginning, probably like 10 to 20% of the incoming class want to be consultants because that's sort of what's, what's compounded by teaching. And then you hear more and more people sort of talking about that and almost defecting to that camp that at some point it becomes what appears that's to be the thing to do. do, right? Yeah. That's actually a big reason why I left my MBA program after the first quarter mm-hmm. is I could see that everybody was getting hyper-focused on one particular career path. And I was like, I don't, that's not my I'll thing. Get it. Yeah. So I left. Yeah. So this is, it's but a very I real I wonder thing. how many people do that because those people aren't going to be caught in the exit interviews. Great. Right? <laughs> right. You just graduated. What are you going to do? Oh yeah. Everybody else left. So. Right. They're going to do different stuff. Survivorship bias. So yep. it's a, it's an interesting, interesting problem. Something to just, you know, maybe ask yourself if you're, if you're in a situation in which the the social you're proof talking around about you. the homogenization that correct gets caused by by publicly visible by, things by joining the joining the the bandwagon mm-hmm. so you know if there's something that you're uncomfortable with or even something you haven't if you step back and you ask yourself did I choose to do this or did this choose me or did me? this choose me just ask yourself the question,
1: <laughs> then, oh, then, question. But
0: then there's a follow up do I care do I care yeah. where that yeah sometimes yeah. It's, it's fine Yep. Yeah, because it was like Game of Thrones, I started watching it because everybody else was watching it. And, and I really good. it's great. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I understand why everybody's watching this. Yep. Right? And Sam so far has not yet joined the Rick and Morty bandwagon. Nope. But I'm holding that. But once he does though, then he'll be like, I wish I was doing this all along. Not man. <laughs> the most recent one, Pickle Rick. It's pretty good. I got it. Yeah. I'm behind now. I'm like, damn it, there's so many things. <laughs> How do we do it? All right, let's get on to some questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get your question on the podcast, get on over there and slap it in a text box. Yeah. All right. First yep. question comes from Bibutube, who says, After a certain amount of time, members of your community will burn out and, fall and drift off. Mm, like a candle in the wind. Yes. How do a you feel wind. about this? And if you try to prevent it, how do you approach it? Ooh. Well, I mean, we do have a podcast. This is where we keep people. Yeah, people who people who tried off. to leave. Yep, yeah. You can't, you can't hear the screams beyond the curtain of moving blankets. Yeah, we use their screams to generate electricity. Yeah, yeah. as people start to drift drift off, we throw a lasso around their ankle, <laughs> mm-hmm. tie them down, and we just have like a hot air balloon. Like we say, you're not a kite; you stay grounded. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is you know, it's an interesting question. I feel like. Part of it is something like the podcast um, because it's a lightweight thing that we can do every week um, that people can engage with passively without having to like spend a whole thing. bunch of time like playing a game or learning a thing. Right. Like, we just, it's just like a conversational thing. Because I think about um, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, I listen to every episode. Like every week when they come out, I'm like, yeah. And then mm-hmm. I like listen to it when I'm driving somewhere or whatever. Um, so this is the kind of thing that actually allows us to kind of push against that because it is the case that that making games over years uh where there's you know one or two year gap from one product to the next it is going to be the case that your community is going to like appear and then recede mm-hmm. like a tidal wave right, right. and then there's just going to be a few pe- a few stragglers left behind who are just really into it and then get into things like the podcast and stuff like that I think that's okay. Yeah, well, it's it's just, just, I mean, to me, it's just fine. It's just the way. It's it's just the way it I mean, I think about it, even just with your, you know, your general social life. Like it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. There might be a group of friends that you have for you know three, five years, even, and then by virtue of stuff you're doing or people moving away or whatever else, you naturally will move into another one. Right. Mm-hmm. Your friends because of a variety of things, where right. you are, the classes you were taking together. Or yeah, I think like the that. the hope is just that that whenever someone sort of drifts out of the community, that they're not they're not being ejected forcefully from it where they're like, well, unless they're an asshole. Well, I mean, unless yeah. we ejected for right. it, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm saying, I'm saying in terms of like the idea of burnout. Yeah. Yeah. No one should be burning out on our community yep. in the, in the real sense. It would of be, yeah, be more like they fizzled out. Yeah. Right. right. Where you're just like, yeah, well, we see that I mean, we see this fizzling all the time, it's basically anytime we, we do something now publicly interesting because we're doing interesting stuff all the time, but it's all like coding up a thing or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that nobody gets to see. And then even if they could, they wouldn't be interesting right. from the outside. Uh, and every once in a while though, we get to do something that's more public, like the Shenanah Jam a few months ago, where that all of a sudden, like the community that had fit that had just fizzled out, you know, our, our discord had gotten really quiet. Our forums were really quiet. Like everything was really quiet because nothing, we hadn't done anything publicly for a while. And, uh, and then we do that. And all of a sudden it's really active and really, you know, mm-hmm. engaging again. Um, and then, and then we watch that also fizzle out again, you know, and, and it's just this constant, but it's always, there's always residual people. There's always residual. Right. right. Yeah. And yeah. So, so it doesn't just go away, just, right. it just kind of gets quiet. And, and, and in a lot of ways, it's actually kind of nice for us because that means the times when we, you know, really engage people because we're doing something that they will find really interesting are also when we spend a lot of time engaging with mm-hmm. those people. And well, then- it's an important note, like all of us, like I love actually just hanging out on Discord and talking to people, but I don't. Yeah, because right, I know yeah. that if I did, I would not get anything done right. most of the time. So it's nice that everything has this sort of natural cycle to it. Yep. And I think the, the most important piece is just that if someone does fizzle out, that they they're doing so just because they're moving on to something else interesting, not because of a negative experience. Right. Right. I want it to be the case that anybody who has entered into our our you know realm of of influence or our communities just has a really good time, gets what they need out of it, and then. If they don't need anything anymore, then Maybe yeah, we'll do stuff. We'll see you on round two. You, know? Kind of, you know, this makes me think of our conversation from a while back about push notifications, yes. where we're like, you know, somebody if they want to play our game, they should, and if if they don't want to play it, that's okay, right? Because right. <laughs> right. their time is important to them, and we're not gonna like at You know, 1.30 in the morning, send them thing, be like, oh, your seeds just sprouted in Crashlands, right? Because crash right. right. uh, who cares? You know, like they <laughs> should. <laughs> If they want to have a good time playing our game and enjoy themselves, then that is on them mm-hmm. to, to do that. And so the same thing with the community. We're not going to twist anybody's arm. Yeah. I just come in, get what you need, yeah, just hang guess, out and have a good time. Yeah. I hope you have a great time. And then you come back at some point when something else interesting that is like of your of your you know interest happens. Because right. part of it, of course, is we have the, the group of people who ends up sticking around. They build relationships with each other, which is what keeps them around. Yeah. so like there's a, there's a little dev community now in our Discord that just hangs out. Just chats. hang out in there. And yeah, just, swapping and notes about stuff. And- rarely, but sometimes, you know, we drop in and somebody will have yeah. a screenshot or a gif or something of something we're working on. And we're like, oh, that's cool. Like, we'll, right. you know, chat them up about it and stuff. Um, not constantly, but, you know, from time to time. So, yeah. I'm That's my take. Yeah. I'm good with it. Just live and let live, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right, next question comes from just some dude. Cool who says, would you consider putting voice acting in your next game or one of your previous games? And would you do it yourself or hire Uh, a voice actor? (laughs) No. What do you mean by voice acting, I guess? Is it because if it's spoken dialogue, then no. But there's an important reason why, which is that we don't have the space. Yeah. So beyond audio any, takes a lot of space. Yeah. Beyond even getting I mean, into think, any concerns about production time. Yeah. Which I think to me, that's even more important. I wouldn't even worry about it though. Cause like we yeah. can't even worry about how long it would take to do a thing that we can't do. I mean, we technically like we can get around that constraint by just being like throwing up a warning to people being like, this is fucking enormous. So make sure your phone is get ready. On Wi-Fi, you know, how well, much, except though, so, like I was, I was trying to play hearthstone. And I ran out, like I, I had the game, I downloaded a patch. Then the next day I booted up again. I was like, we got to download another patch. And then all of a sudden I ran out of space and I couldn't play anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So yeah, so we, like, we never want to hit that point. Yeah. But like yeah. how much of Crashlands total space is sound and music? I think over half. Right. So keep in mind. It's a 60 megabyte game. Yeah. And like 35 or 40 megabytes of it is audio. Right. And there's actually something we've been talking to Fat Bart about because we do want to sort of pump up. the jams jams on our next game and like make it a really fun, cool experience. And, and also just have an OST for the game, a soundtrack for the game that is big and beautiful and fun. The problem is how do you, how do you pack that in when you don't have that much space to work with in the first place? And so there's a lot of really weird and interesting technical constraints there that we might lift in some ways. Like for example, having saying, Oh, there's an extra download, which is just an extra two songs or something. If that's like what happens, I don't care about that, but doing something where we say we're going to voice act, Every line of the game, and that's why you need to fill up your entire phone. Nah. nah. Well, well, and I think it's also, we did have voice acting in Crashlands. So, for example, the Glazer, that's Fat Bard, Patrick from Fat Bard screaming through a paper towel tube. Yeah. You know, if that's not voice acting, I don't know. Flux going. Emmy worthy. Hmm. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's that's voice acting. That's, that's Patrick's wife, that's, Susan. That's, that's Susan. The Snorble that screams when it explodes its mucus balls at your face, that's Sam that screaming into a new microphone. I'm just yep. screaming right at yeah. you. Yeah, you know, that's. That's real people, real voices. <laughs> so we got we have to do little clever things to do it, and, and I think our next game will have it, but probably in the same way that we had it previously, we're like banjo kazooie style, right? It's like, yeah. ah, oh, ah, ah, oh. Yep. that's how they talk. But that you know, it gets the message across. It, it gets the character out there. So all right. So last question comes from Koolaboola. I assume it's the last question because we might we might get on this. Uh, Ed McMillan released a Meat Boy type game a few weeks ago, uh, and it did well. Four hundred thousand dollars plus. Uh, but not as well as expected, considering the huge fan base. He's not as close to his fans as you guys. Uh, what you guys do works, and we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. This a nice little note at the end there. It is nice. The question, uh, Ed McMillan, maker of Binding of Isaac and Super Meat Boy, and then like a thousand other games mm-hmm. that are like Flash games, games. Flash. games and stuff. Uh, also one of the stars of Indie Game the Movie. Yep. Huge following, in theory. He was the inspiration for me actually being able to do art. So that's cool and weird. Yep. Because I was like, I could do that. Turns out I couldn't for a long time, but now I can. Well, (laughs) this this, this kind (laughs) of comes to, I think, two questions. So one is kind of related to what we were just talking about, which is he has these successful games out there, Mm -hmm. but Binding of Isaac came out in, like, 2011? That was a long time ago now. Like five or six years ago? Yeah, it's old now. Super Meat Boy was before that, several years before that. So we're talking anywhere from like if you've played one of those two games, um, it was around around launch it was anywhere from 5 to 7 years ago, mm-hmm. right? And uh and then the, so that's comes back to the question of like your fan base kind of slowly drifting out. slowly drifting away if you don't have anything left to kind of keep them around. But also what are they fans of? That's the question. You so know. this right. this is an interesting thing and I think uh um with With creators who are accessible in some way, I think it's easier to become a fan of the creator, right? It is, but that's still, no matter how easy it is, that is still a a small fraction of the fan base. That's like the bottom of the funnel. Yeah, exactly. So while this is one of those interesting things about, we've talked about about this before with our numbers from something like Quadrupus Rampage, where we're like, yeah, we had a million downloads on that thing, like three at this point, however many it is. Three million, yeah. Does that, what does that mean, really? In terms of number of people who are playing it. Because we got like one thousand newsletter signups out of those three million. Exactly. <laughs> people who are actually engaged, which yeah. is a whole nother level, and people who will actually pay us money, which is again a whole nother level. So the reality is any any number that you're looking at, even for something like Super Meat Boy or someone who looks like a just a knock it out of the park success, the the reality once you start applying these percentages of yeah. uh, as a fraction, to it, almost nobody who played Bonnie and Isaac or Super Meat Boy knows that Ed McMillan made it. Probably true as a fraction. Yeah. They may, they may know about team meat. Yep. Right. Maybe, maybe. So the reality is that things that look very, very visible to us oftentimes are basically invisible to uh, the player base. And then on top of that, so, so you have this, you have this, uh, this fraction problem, right? So like maybe 1% of your people, 1% over, over the entirety of time, which if he sold, you know, $400,000 worth of, I think he gave you 15 bucks Yeah, and it just launched on steam only, correct? I think so. I think it was just on Steam. So single platform launch uh, making $400,000 to 15 bucks. That's in a few weeks. In a few weeks. It's a, it is a good number of units. Like it is a successful game by mm. every single metric. So this is this interesting point about this comparison problem, which is like, at what point is it actually just fine that he launched a game and made $400,000 right. on one platform? <laughs> Depends on his personal burn rate. It does. But my guess is it's probably not very high. I don't know. Because he's yeah. just a dude. Yeah, but one person can spend a lot of money. That's true. But but this is an interesting question, which is like, as you, as a creator, if you make something that's really successful, is it the case you're able to capture that success and roll it forward? And we've talked about this being our goal with stuff like Bscotch ID and the newsletter and this podcast and everything else is to try to capture some of that momentum and roll it forward. But if you're rolling it forward a year, two years, seven years, you're going to have some. Well, and and I think importantly with stuff like Super Meat Boy or Binding of Isaac, there's no mechanisms in that game to allow people to be notified of future stuff. Correct. There's no newsletter. No newsletter. There's no, there's nothing like B-Sketch ID or whatever. You're not, you're not, I guess Ed McMillan came up in the early wave of indies Mm -hmm. where, where being indie was just like an amazing thing by itself. And there were people who were just like, Oh, indie games. That's all I play. Like that's where the real innovation is happening. Right. Right. And there were communities of people who were just laser focused on all the things that this small group of developers was doing. But then with, Unity, Game Maker, Unreal Engine, like with these things really becoming much more professionally usable, then you no longer had to code your game from scratch mm-hmm. in XNA or whatever. Right. And so all of a sudden there's this huge flood where basically everybody's an indie developer, mm-hmm. right? Like 99% of the games you see coming out are going to be made by very small teams or, or individuals or whatever. And so uh, so at the time, this was not something that he had to think about, that their right. team had to think right. about was... It was it was more of like we made a good game. We like worked with Microsoft. They put it on the front page of the Xbox. Boom. We're we're good. We go right? Up, right. Um and that's just not that's just not how it is anymore. Yeah. Especially no. now with uh with the change in Steam, mm-hmm. where now there's more games coming out than there were uh on Steam every week mm-hmm. because of the the green light change. So we're just in a it's a different market. I think I think it's a, it's in interesting and weird problem which is that the unfortunate reality is that any of your previous success is just not indicative nor guarantee of future successes and this is something that we're we're actually very anxious about with our next game because you know we're doing all this cool stuff with our studio we think as far as structuring it employing people a lot of these methods that we're thinking about bscotch id all this stuff but no one's gonna care to listen until and if the next game is successful Mm -hmm. by a margin of magnitude you know, like so, four hundred thousand dollars is not apparently successful enough for Ed McMillan at this point. So the question is, what's the well, order of magnitude? Maybe this is this is the comment of well, well I think it, the it's a question ask No, no, it's, it's a good point. That it's it's simply a good point that making that much money when it appears that you should be able to reach a much broader audience does not seem like a success, right? Relatively, right. right. Um, so there's there's that order of magnitude problem. Yeah, if, if Super Meat Boy makes something like fifteen or twenty million. And right. the next game makes 400,000. Right. It's, then you're like, what? Well, it's like we talked about a while back of how like we need as people, we need things to ratchet yep. upward in order mm-hmm. to feel like there's progression or like, right. you know, so it feels weird to go from that down to like, you know, 3% of that or right? something. So, yep. Who knows? who knows? Life is hard. All right. So that's... Uh, that's all we have time for for this week. Uh, so we'd like to thank our studio Wrangler, Monique, for putting this episode together, and our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. And the Bees Dev team, Andy, Tifa, and Sher sure, for continuing to build stuff while we're in here making this podcast. We'd also like to thank our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. And of course... We'd like to thank our listeners for coming back every week to listen to us. Uh, If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server, which is at bit.ly slash bsdiscord, all lowercase, uh, and say hello. We've also got a mailbox if you'd like to send us candy or canned goods. Or handwritten letters. Handwritten letters. Mm-hmm. But, don't, uh, but don't type a letter and then send it because then you might as well just use our content. You could have just used the other mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, put some effort into it. Cramp that thumb. <laughs> yeah. Write it by hand. <laughs> have uh, you that- written a letter recently? It is really exhausting. It does hurt your hand. Man. Truthfully. Yeah, I, I was torn thinking torn. about that and I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, am I holding the pen weird? Like, why does my thumb hurt? Yeah, the thing you're doing wrong is not using a keyboard. That's probably... That's probably true. It's yeah. more like the, the meat between my thumb and my forefinger. That like little pad right there. Oh yeah. man, for you me, I mean? for me, it's the like area right below my thumb. Oh. You know? So you guys both got some weak thumb meat. So. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Got <laughs> to do some thumb ups. Thumbs, thumbs ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, so that is at mailbox.bsketch.net. <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to cramp up your thumb and send us something, you can do that. Uh, also, we don't advertise this show, so we depend completely on everybody else spreading the word for us. So we used to talk about leaving reviews and stuff, but now we realize we just need everybody to tell Justin Bieber about this podcast. Yep, on the other hand, reviews might actually help because it might that might make us that the broadcast network that is iTunes, yes, is more effective at broadcast. That's, That's true, yeah. So it's probably you not. Mean, true. You mean Apple Podcast? Apple Podcast. Yeah. yeah. So it might it might not be just one or the other. It's just you know, yeah. Do all, everything do basically. Leave us things, a review. Yeah. Tell your friends, and then tell Nicki Minaj. Yeah. You know Nicki Minaj needs to know About his podcast she's, she's really Super into games She's really in tune With the game dev community mm-hmm. And all that stuff um, You can hear it in her songs There's like it's, There's a kind of A lot of, a lot of like subtext Yeah And the lyrics yeah. about like Butts and stuff there's, Yeah Yeah It's, Which she's metaphor- talking about- it's metaphorical Yeah the, <laughs> the butts are actually Referenced to video games Yeah. Yes. Specifically to Butterscotch video games mm-hmm. Yes exactly Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, you know, we'll get a, a Nicki Minaj butterscotch shenanigans sort of collab mm-hmm. going on. We're working on it, you know. We're working on it. But, you know, we depend on our listeners to, to make this happen. So if you guys could do us a solid. That'd be great. All right. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.